Hello, I'm Andrew Suskind, and I'm a psychotherapist and author based in West Los Angeles since 1992, specializing in trauma and addictions. Welcome to our podcast, which I call It's Not About the Sex, also the title of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior, often referred to as sex addiction. In particular, we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery while establishing more meaningful connection and greater intimacy. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints, brand new perspectives, and practical user-friendly tools toward living a more deeply connected life. Let's get started. Good afternoon, Sue. Hi, Andrew. How you doing today? I'm doing good. It's the Friday, like we always record on Fridays, but this time it's special. So I guess I call it the end of the summer, but we still have a lot of summer left here. You know, it's funny because both of us are from the East Coast. Memorial Day to Labor Day was the traditional summer months. And Labor Day weekend was always the end of the summer and kind of bittersweet. You know, it was was a cool weekend because you got to play and barbecue and and maybe go to the beach or whatever. But also it, it signified the end of the summer before school began again. Yeah. So here we are. At the end of our summer, even though in Los Angeles, not so much. Right. Because <laughs> through October. Here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so today, what I thought we would talk about is how anger can be an ally. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Because yeah. I never really thought of anger that way. But, so I'm curious to see where this where this goes. Well, anger in general kind of gets a bad rap, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, people say things like, or you're an angry person, or you shouldn't be angry, or anger is is going to create some kind of explosion. Really, what we're talking about is an emotion that can be safe and productive and, and really work well for people if they're willing to take a closer look at, at their own anger blueprint. Yeah, looking at it as an emotion instead of um, as an, I don't know what I used to think of it as, an attack almost, like something that you couldn't control. Because growing up, I don't know if we want to go there, but yeah, so growing up, I lived... Um, what a very angry dad. And he wasn't ang- angry all the time, but we just never knew when he was going to get angry. And it was kind of like my mom would be like, well, he's Sicilian. That's the way it is. It was blamed, you know, on that. But it was volatile and it was like the expression walking on eggshells. Um, and then as a young child, the way I dealt with my dad's anger was just run and hide, you know, and, and, that was my coping mechanism with that. So when I had a very, when I had my first child and I would see that he would get angry, I was really nervous and worried that it was like the hereditary or, you know, how am I going to deal with this? And then I, I took him to a therapist at a very young age and she's like, anger is just an emotion. And it wasn't really until that point where I, I just realized, oh, yeah, why didn't I know that? And let's just deal with it. So she taught him and myself um, how to acknowledge that anger, be with it, and then learn from it, and and then be done with it. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, we'd never know where our brain's going to go at any moment, and certain things can 
make us feel angry and you know and but having that know all like oh this is an emotion like happy sad glad whatever mm-hmm. let's let's deal with this like an emotion like a grown-up exactly <laughs> you know it's funny when you're talking about your dad i was thinking about my dad and i think they had a lot of similarities because i know you had closeness with your father mm-hmm. as did i but my father was kind of miserable in in the marriage and he stayed all the way until I graduated high school and I really don't have much recollection of my parents being loving or affectionate or any of that and so unfortunately although my dad was very well-meaning he would rage at times he would just kind of hold it in hold it in hold it in and then explode and and One thing I wanted to clarify is that there is a big difference between anger and rage. Now, rage is something that's destructive or self-destructive, something that really causes damage emotionally or otherwise. And although my father didn't intend to cause any damage, the impact was that we had eggshells all over our home. I had three older brothers that had trouble with their own expression of feelings and anger and rage. And there was just a lot of tantruming. And and I did a lot of running up to my room, closing the door, turning on the stereo, grabbing the dog, anything that could be comforting and somehow a a place of of sanctuary for myself. Right. Yeah. But seeking that out makes you the type of person that you are, like seeking out self-comfort. Um, not everybody knew how to do that as my brother would stand in the middle of it and just yell back, you know, cause he didn't like it, but he could stand there and just say no. Right. But I was hiding with you like uh, under pillows and yeah, I still do that. <laughs> I knew there was a reason why we, why we like, attuned no, no, to no, one no, another. La, 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 la. That's Fingers right. In the ears. Yeah, e- exactly. Like, this isn't serving me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and, Luckily, we don't have to do that as adults, but a lot of these patterns that come up as kids do follow us in different ways. They become our style of coping, our our style or strategy of surviving um, a home that was unpredictable. And one thing I wanted to come back to, because this is really why I wanted to share this podcast today, is that unexpressed anger is really dangerous, especially for those in recovery. You know, I, I believe for myself and for others that I've witnessed with this particular conflict avoidance style is that there's a, a actually a vulnerability to relapse and certainly a vulnerability to relational ruptures if there's unexpressed anger. Mm-hmm. So, so, that's really the premise for this discussion today is that I, I really believe that this is something that doesn't always get talked about. Yeah. And and how can we demystify anger? How can we talk about anger actually as a useful emotion and something that can maybe even bring us closer to one another? Yeah, that's interesting to think about. And, and I totally understand like, that coping mechanism as an adult, like running and hiding under your pillows isn't going to work. So maybe if you're confronted with something like that, um, what would you do to soothe yourself? And if you're not making the right choices and if, you know, your addiction is calling you 
of course, you know, that's like, oh, that's going to make me feel so much better, you know, and that ends up replacing, you know, those young, younger coping mechanisms we had in place. So we have here, anger is a life energy, right? And a life force. That's interesting. So it helps us feel more alive and less numb or dead ended. Do you want to unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. So you kind of said this a moment ago, but sometimes there's a desire to to get away from something or to um, flee, right? It's kind of like the fight, flight, freeze uh, effort, right? So, so survival sometimes is about, I got to get the hell out of here, right? On the other hand, what we're really talking about is how can we take contrary action to what it is that our first instinct tells us? Like for me, if I have an instinct to run up to my room and isolate, there might be some temporary comforting in that. Maybe I bring the dog, maybe I put on some good music, maybe I hang out and, and just try and um, talk myself down or get on the phone and talk to a friend or whatever. But ultimately, it is about trying to connect, like we talked about in our last podcast, connect with something larger than ourselves. because isolation and hibernation are, are very dangerous, right? So if we're not expressing our anger and we're just kind of finding that, that place away from the conflict, it may be a temporary way of feeling better, but it's not going to be sustainable. So for instance, speaking to a sponsor, uh, doing some writing, calling my therapist, praying, meditating, anything that can be something larger than, than ourselves makes a difference. And what I've learned is that, or what I try and practice actually, is that anger truly is a life energy. It's part of what helps me feel aliveness within myself. And if I s push it down, if I smother it, that's when I feel deadened. That's when I feel less alive. And don't we all want to feel more alive, right? Sure. And so anger is something that can help us feel uh, more alive, more connected, and more able to express ourselves rather than just pushing it down and, and pretending it's not there. So do you think what you experienced as um, in your house was more rage than anger? It was a combination. I, I think that much of the time it was anger, and then occasionally there were explosions. Mm -hmm. I had a brother who was kind of violent at times. The, the holes in the walls actually would be testimony to that kind of thing. Um, my father, even though, like I said, he was a loving guy, occasionally he would yell so loud that I would jump. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so that's those rage moments, right? Anger is here, like sort of the undercurrent. And then rage is the spike where it gets so big and so out of control, sometimes so quickly. And sometimes it just goes away really quickly too. We're not necessarily talking you know, I didn't grow up in a physically abusive home, for instance, but emotionally there was just this sense of, do I feel safe here? Well, that's what I'm wondering. So how like down the line, if you grew up 
like I'm just thinking of myself right now. If so, I grew up in a place where it's all very similar to what you're saying. But I fear. I have a little bit of fear that I don't want to be like that. So I do smother the anger. You know, I do push it down, and I feel like it is unexpressed. So how would you recommend me being or our listeners being able to express that anger to feel alive to to bring that up um, as a life force? Like what's an example that you can share? Sure. So like you were talking about with your son when he was little, sometimes it goes back to the basics. Like how do we name the emotion, right? We, we name it. How do we name and identify the anger, right? And then after we've named it, after we've identified it, how do we put words to it? right? How do we express ourselves based on what that anger is, right? And and then I think once we put words to it, hopefully we can get to a point where it's more normalized, where it's more, we can be more curious about it rather than scared by it or, or worried about it, and eventually to diffuse it. It's not that it goes away entirely because anger we actually want to have. We want to make sure that we can set boundaries, for instance, with our anger. But it, it's really a matter of practice. And oftentimes I think it's practicing with others. So a wonderful child therapist with your son um, or a grown-up therapist uh, for, for us or possibly a sponsor helping us work through the steps. Uh, step four is about resentments. And so really working a thorough inventory around resentments goes right along with anger. And, and knowing that there's a lot of pieces of anger, like sometimes guys in my men's group will say, oh, I'm not angry, I'm just a little frustrated. And I'll say, well, frustrated is a, a descriptive word. Mm -hmm. But it's really just a cousin of anger. So let's just call it what it is. It's, it's a form of anger. Yeah, anger has a taboo around it, I guess. Absolutely. Right. Like, I'm irritated. I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. All cousins, very close cousins of anger. And I, I always say, well, let's just put it in the same bucket because we don't want to downplay it or pretend that it's not there. There's right. some level of anger there. So let's look at that. So let's welcome anger in as an ally. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think that's a good name for this podcast, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm happy where I'm happy. I'm glad that we're having this conversation. So you spoke a little bit about the boundaries yeah. and, and bringing the anger and boundaries together. Right. And setting those up. And identifying it is very important. Yeah. Um, and understanding and knowing what's acceptable to us and what's unacceptable. Yeah. Helps us to set those boundaries. And that's individualized, I would assume. It is individualized, and it's not so simple because a lot of us aren't socialized to be able to ask ourselves what's acceptable, what's unacceptable, what's okay, what's not okay. And when we're able to distinguish those things, we're already able to, to set some boundaries, and we're also able to acknowledge that that's a form of really identifying anger as a strategy to really be able to, to tell ourselves what is truly okay and what doesn't feel okay to us. And 
Would you say a lot of the times anger is a result of something that happens to you? Or do you think it it could equally just brew up inside you for whatever reason and you just all of a sudden realize you're angry? It's a great question. I believe that most anger is based on something from our past that gets activated. Mm -hmm. So like with you and I, when somebody is unpredictable and blows up and and yells over something that that was unexpected or, or, or really caught us by surprise, chances are if somebody even resembles that kind of unpredictability or unexpected nature, it, it really turns into that activation based on really, you know, from a somatic viewpoint, you know, subcortically, Mm -hmm. we store memories and experiences that were too much to process at the time. And so with my dad, there was plenty of instances that I was little and he was big and he had a loud voice at times. And so some of those memories and experiences are, are, they're, at this point, they're not as strong as they used to be, but they were stored for a long, long time. And so they became an, a place where I would get activated if somebody was doing something that sure. was like yeah. that. Yeah. So your brain, I mean, I, I, I'm not a fan of the word triggered, but I like activated, um, same type of thing or influenced. Um, yeah, I, I totally understand that and how that how your brain you don't really have a control over what your brain decides to bring up to the surface. But when it does, what you do have control over is how to deal with it. Right. Absolutely. And you, the only thing really in life that you have control over is is how you not deal with things. Well, deal with things or respond or, you know, give back to. I mean, that's it. That's. That's right. what you can choose to do. And one thing I, I want to piggyback on is if we were in a reactive environment as a kid, chances are we became reactive as well. And so it sometimes takes a lot of undoing and, and healing and disentangling to go from being reactive to responsive. Mm-hmm. And the ways that I've done that through the years are mostly around things like mindfulness and meditation and different ways of regulating my own nervous system and and really having that place of, of option rather than feeling controlled by that automatic activation. But I do want to say one other thing about since many people can relate with road rage and we have a yeah. lot of that here in yeah. Los Angeles. It's not road anger, people. That's road right. <laughs> That's right. Many times that's either a survival instinct, right? That that truly can just happen in the moment, or it can have to do with something in someone's past that had to do with feeling cut off or feeling trespassed or violated in some kind of way. So I don't think it's an easy one size fits all kind of answer, but I, I think that anger is is really a birthright. And, and without focusing so much on rage, which would be a whole nother podcast, um, we're really talking about safe and productive expression of anger. All right. Well, 
conflict avoidance, which I think we touched upon a little bit there, equals anger avoidance, which equals fear of destruction or self-destruction. Yeah, it, it goes back to what we were talking about. I mean, in our childhoods, we found ways as kids to move away from the explosions. And that was super important. I mean, it actually was very clever for us to find that way of, of dealing with it, right? So there was a wisdom of, in a sense, of our nervous system, but a wisdom of, of who we were as kids to not get in the middle of it. That wasn't our instinct, right? Like you said, your brother had a different instinct. My brothers had a different instinct, but I kind of did my own thing and that worked for me. What happens though is that conflict and anger are really come hand in hand and there's nothing wrong with with conflict or confrontation that's based on two people going about it in a way that is respectful and hopefully gets to a place of, of deeper mutual understanding right but there's always going to be that worry if we grew up in a family and many people can relate to this where how bad is it going to get and I have clients all the time. I had a client in my men's group the other night say that he's worried that his anger will get out of control, that if he really shows how angry he is, that something bad will happen. And the group is just so welcoming of him talking about it. And it, I've, I've heard this time and time again, that there's that, that myth that somehow something awful will happen. And, and so again, to help somebody be able to incrementally express the anger in a, in a safe way, in a way that, that others can hold the space with them so that it doesn't have to get into this out of control kind of mode. Yeah, it's interesting. So he always, he has that thought that that's a possibility. Yeah. And that's a trauma reaction. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think I feel that way too. So that's why I always quell any any anger if I see it coming up. It's I I was reading. Um, I'm never gonna pronounce his name right. Tick Not Han. Uh huh. Okay. Um, and he was talking about road rage. It's and um, I have this little book, a little vignettes, and he explained it as, "Would you get upset if rain was coming down on your windshield? Like you you don't." you can't control the the rain just like you can't control the driver that just cut out in front of you and a lot of times people take that personally like they did this to me where now if you're you know open to understanding this anger and rage and where it's coming from try to take the step of removing that that person is, the rain isn't hitting just you or that person isn't doing this to you, you know, and, and remove, remove you from the equation. And maybe that might help a little bit. Now that's incredible because I think what, what is being specified is, is the idea of moving out of victim mode, right? That, that is there that feeling that somehow I'm at the mercy of others. Mm. Am I at the mercy of somebody's anger? And actually, when it was da when it truly was dangerous, or when something was too much to process, 
it, it's going to feel that way. So we don't want to take away that trauma reaction. But what we're looking for in terms of a healing direction is to just notice that. And, and you know, meditators would say something like, just, just observe what's coming up for you with curiosity, with non-judgment, and just notice what's happening. And so, for instance, in my men's group, that's what I encourage oftentimes is, is not that they have to go headfirst into the deep end of anger, but what was it like just to notice that that other person was expressing some anger? Maybe it starts with an observation, right? And, you know, along those lines, what I wanted to say is that expressing anger can actually create more intimacy. Mm, how's that possible? Well, if you have two people or more than two people who are really open-hearted to the possibility of being honest and direct and clear with one another, to be respectful and hopefully have some level of trust, that's important. So we're talking about an ideal situation. Ultimately, if two people can really speak their truths and, and really express who they are, including their anger, that's a very intimate space, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, like I said before, if there's an opportunity for deeper mutual understanding with one another, it's not that they have to agree, right? Sometimes with conflict, it's not about agreement, but it's about listening and it's about understanding and it's about saying, well, am I willing to do what it takes to be with this other person and, and try and get where they're coming from? And I think it's really key when people can actually say that they're angry. So it's not really a surprise. And when people can put those words to it, it makes me feel better because I'm like, oh, okay, this is where we are. You're angry. Okay, let's start from there. Right. And I was hoping, um, or well, not hoping, but maybe I was hoping in the past life that when we were running up to our rooms and seeking comfort, that we would get comfort. But comfort never came as far as like a mom never showed up or a sibling never showed up to provide that comfort. And I'm just wondering how that would have changed the outcome later on in life if there was somebody that came into the room and, and provided some sort of release from the from that right it, it's it's a very poignant part of growing up right in my experience and our listeners have heard this before my grandmother and my dog were the most unconditional entities mm. in, in my life. And I had a grandmother where I could, I could get on the phone oh. and call her. Mm -hmm. And she lived maybe 15, 20 minute bike ride away. And, and so having an emotionally reliable person somewhere in the mix, I mean, obviously she couldn't run up the stairs and knock on my door every time this happened. Right. But I could either call her or I could look forward to seeing her soon. That was really soothing for me. But you're yes. right. There's something very isolating about not having somebody really be able to, to be there with us mm -hmm. at the moment. 
but having your groups together now and providing that deep comfort level as anger may arise for somebody else probably does, you know, create that sense of, of care and warmth that at some point was missing and can help make that connection even more important. For sure. I, I am a huge advocate of group therapy, as you know, and it's one of the greatest healing aspects of group is that they all are there to learn about themselves and help each other learn about themselves. And when somebody is, let's say, quiet in, in the moment of conflict, somebody inevitably turns towards them and, and says, what's going on? You've been awfully quiet. Or the other side of it, if somebody's like kind of escalating and getting really angry or maybe even rageful, something someone will turn to them, maybe the group leader or someone else, and, and say, well, what's going on right now? What, what is it that is happening and, and how can we be with you in, in this moment? What, what, what would be helpful, right? So there's all of those possibilities of reparative mm. experiences based on the idea that you absolutely don't have to go through it alone. And really we're talking about anger today, but we're really talking about one's emotional world, Right. that yeah. it doesn't have to be a completely isolated place that that others don't get to right. participate in yeah it's great well i'm glad we talked about anger as an ally as an ally yeah and me too and and i i do look forward to having more conversations with you sue about anger and everything that goes along with it because i think there's so much to learn and it's such a valuable part of addiction recovery that doesn't always get talked about. So I'm glad we were able to have this dialogue today. Yeah, me too. Me too, Andrew. Thank you for listening today. As always, it was fantastic to share this time with my colleague and my friend, Sue Merlino, and to discuss this often overlooked topic that affects those affected by out-of-control sexual behavior. Be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, or please share our podcast on Spotify. And if you have any other topics you'd like us to discuss in the future, just let us know. I look forward to you joining us on future podcasts, and thanks again for being with us today. <laughs>